Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and I'm once again joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. G'day, Kim. How are you doing? Hello. I'm very well and I'm very excited because today we're talking about one of my favourite things. Ooh, do Your tell. Yes. <laughs> uh, not, on, not on a family show, no. <laughs> <laughs> I love a trend. I love research that goes into why we are doing what we're doing and what's making us tick and what is becoming more and more desired or um, needed. And one of the companies that excels at this is the uh, is Mintel, one of the world's largest market research and insight firms. And they've just recently uh, put out their annual global food and drink trends. So today we are joined by uh, Cormac Henry. He's a senior global food and drink analyst at Mintel. Hi, Cormac. How are you? Good morning, Kim. I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me on today. It's good to oh, chat. Absolute pleasure. I, I'm quite envious of your job, but I suspect that you had to do a lot of statistics and and things to um to become an analyst, and they're just not my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh, good with know, the I words, think, not the numbers. <laughs> I think people often think that about um, data and statistics, but I think we're quite a nice side of it in that we're just sort of at the consumer side. So it is all human behavior, and I think regardless of what your interest areas may like, everyone can kind of have that view of what makes them tick as a human and can kind of see themselves reflected or not reflected in others. So it's definitely the the nicer, softer side sometimes <laughs> I think research. Well, let's have a let's let's get into what um, Mintel's identified as the three main uh, food and drink trends this year. They seem to have a real focus on on some themes that we have just been seeing recurring, you know, of recent mm-hmm. years. So they're really obviously holding holding steadfast. But it's it's stuff about health and balancing, you know, health and pleasure or and convenience. And so what what are the sort of what are they that, that Mintel's really identified? Mm. Yeah, I think when we're asked that question about what we've identified, it's probably good to start with um, where the trends have actually come from, you know, how we get to them at Mintel. And, you know, for anyone joining us today, they are most likely involved somewhere with the production or marketing of food and drink. And it's at that time of year where their email inbox is probably a bit flooded with trend predictions for next year. But I think we do have to be quite careful when using that word trend, as that can differ a lot from what's, you know, trending on social media. It may be that there's a certain new drink out, comes and goes overnight. Um, But for us us at Mintel, when we speak about a trend, these are really notable changes in consumer behavior and product development over time. So they do differ from those, you know, trending items that are here today, gone tomorrow. So these true trends evolve and grow, and it's important we um, keep that in mind. And, you know, with this understanding this year, myself and our team of analysts across the globe, we go away and analyze our consumer data from over 36 markets and also our product innovation data from 86 markets to uncover where those notable shifts may be in consumer behavior and how brands are actually responding to them. So this year we actually have four trends in total. Uh-huh. So I've missed uh, one. 
That's okay. That's fine. <laughs> little bonus. Little oh, bonus my, name's, <laughs> my name's Kim. I'm a journalist. I excel at research. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah, so four, there's four of them. Um, they are called, the first one is called Age Reframed. And this trend focuses on helping consumers live with vitality into their senior years. And it really recognizes some of those stigmas that are being debunked around aging consumers and how to help consumers not just live longer through their diet, but live with better health. Um, and particularly by targeting that Gen X consumer. And if you're not aware of the Gen X consumer, they're about 44 to 58 years old in 2023. And they can sometimes be referred to as the, you know, the forgotten generation. There can be a lot of emphasis on Gen Z and millennials and even sort of that older boomer generation. But Gen X have been a little bit forgotten about. That is, so. that is true. I can speak from experience. <laughs> <laughs> we have been so overlooked. And, yeah, uh, you know... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. There's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity with that demographic, and we'll we'll chat we'll chat about you know what's going on with them in a little bit. Our second trend is called trust the process, and this focuses on how clear communication will be needed to help consumers make informed decisions about how processed and ultra processed food and drink fits into their diet. So we've seen this discussion ongoing for quite some time now. There have been different levels to it, starting with um, certain sort of, you know, nutrition scores on packaging that really differs across the world, such as, you know, NutriScore and HealthStar rating. We have a few more interesting uh, rating systems coming through now in Europe, which actually refer to the level of processing on food and drink, which we'll also chat about in more detail. Um, our third trend is climate changes and comfort endures. And this trend focuses on how as consumers are increasingly overwhelmed by the worsening climate crisis, they will be expecting companies to maintain their sustainability efforts really as business as usual. Um, but they will be valuing that comfort as the prime selling products or the prime selling point for products. And I think this just all comes down to what's now very much the reality that by and large, consumers will not pay more for sustainability, but they do like their products to be sustainable. So it's by thinking how we unlock greater value messaging in those sustainability claims that we are seeing coming through. Our final trend is quite technology focused. It's called Eating Optimized. And this focuses on how a new era of convenience is dawning as technology is streamlining meal planning, shopping and cooking and a huge artificial intelligence focus within this trend. Um, some technology which has really come to, I think, the forefront across all industries um, over the course of the last year, where it's chat GBT or what we're sort of seeing coming in um, through our retail stores and self-scanning shoppers or self-scanning tills and all the rest. So those are the four that we are working with um, this year, Kim. Interestingly, just as a side note on the, on the eating optimized sort of trend, we've just recently written a story about a new app that's come out called Saveful and it's interactive and it develops its own um, recipe recommendations and and um, guidelines off what each person who's using it has. So it will it will help you um, work out how to make a dinner with the things that you've still got in your cupboard mm -hmm. or it will work give you a couple of different meal suggestions and the costings of them. And it's got the backing of 
some of Australia's biggest food and and beverage companies. And they're saying that they think it will help consumers save two to $3,000 a year off their grocery bills. So it's really that, it, and I've had a look at it and it's incredibly easy to use and there's lots of gamification and and you can just see that the more you use it, the more it will adapt and, and it's, you know, become really, you know, um, customised to your specific household. It's, um, it's really, it's interesting, you know, the, the aim is to help consumers save money um, and but also reduce food waste. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating to see that type of developments coming through for the consumer because we're also seeing retail companies, retail um, grocery retailers coming through at that end of things. There's a company called um, Vive in the US. They are a startup, but they are essentially developing these AI panels that you can put on your shopping carts. Um, and they are kind of geotags. So as you're walking down the supermarket aisle, it can alert you of a certain offer. Um, and this is still sort of a relatively early launch phase, but there is potential there to sort of be plugging in consumer preference there. So if they know you're a shopper of a certain category, you like to buy it when it's on special, they'll give you that alert. And like you say, it can feed into sort of like what are recipe suggestions? What can you do with that? Um, particularly around that food wastage um, discussion, we cover that a bit as well within our trust the process um, trend. And that element really focuses on where is processing a benefit for consumers? Um, so one way in which it can be a benefit in the food waste stage at the production side is looking sort of at using upcycled ingredients. So there is a company in New Zealand called um, the Upcycled Grain Project. And what they're actually doing is using spent grains from uh, beer brewers and producing uh, grain snacks through them and you know unlocking all that great nutrition that we have in grains. So um, it's kind of that end-to-end processor and thinking around, you know, what's out there already available to us that we're not necessarily um, putting into um, our food and drink that has nutritional value. And in that case, the processing has a real benefit to the consumer for the nutrition coming through. Yeah, I think that's um, – I think we're really – I mean, there are some markets where we see – that uh, that upcycling process is really happening and we're starting mm. to get some really high-end, they're not pharmaceuticals, but they're, mm-hmm. uh, you know, these these high-functioning ingredients that are really valuable to the, you know, the, the farmer because it's, it's another income stream and then a health benefit that comes from it as well. Uh, so I think that's going to be really fascinating to watch as it becomes more comprehensive across, you know, it, it shifts not just out of that high-end sort of um, therapeutic drugs that we're buying to into food products and and um, and beverages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of it too. You know, I think the some of the issues around upcycling and is the term itself. Yeah. Um, it, <laughs> when, yeah. we, when we test these products, like, oh, upcycle doesn't sound very attractive. Yeah, <laughs> um, I know. But I think on the flip side of that, a lot of these ingredients or even sort of there's potential there with sort of, you know, flavors, you know, if you are using, for example, like discarded orange peels from orange juice production, citrus flavors, there is actually opportunity there with those upcycle to bring consumers new taste sensations, things they might not necessarily be familiar with. Um, and I think that's always you know, the key thing within marketing food and drink. If you can link it back to a differentiated taste benefit that offers consumers something new, um, 
that can really um, improve the emotional appeal because they they feel they're doing their part for the environment by helping use these upcycling environments. But there is a real benefit for them in that moment by themselves when they're just snacking or you know comforting themselves watching TV of an evening. So <laughs> pretty exciting. There is also uh, that ongoing discussion around the level of processing and ultra processed mm. food mm. and where that where the line is particularly when then you're starting to look at say a plant-based meat which has gone through a lot of processing of extrusion and and you know many other things and it was interesting at the alt proteins conference this uh, you know back in September mm. August mm. um maybe October <laughs> it's all just a blur <laughs> um there were a number of sort of um, food tech and health, you know, health um, industry people sort of having a discussion around it, and they were quite honest and just said, "We don't, uh, we we don't know, we don't, you know, we don't, we think that these foods actually sit in a different category to our, you know, our sort of current definition of ultra processed food." So it's, um, I, I think there's, yeah, it's it's an interesting one because. Consumers want to trust that process, I guess, but then it's how, you know, what's, what do they, how do they find what to trust and what to question? Mm. I think, yeah, the what to trust and what to question. Our research shows there's still quite a lot of confusion about processed foods and even sort of the ingredients within them. But one particularly interesting rating system that's coming through in Europe in this space that can be proactively adopted, it's not mandatory, um, is something called the NOVA score. And this is basically a traffic light system from one through four. And one essentially um, means basically natural or sort of minimally processed foods. And four equals ultra, ultra processed. Um, So I've started to see that come through in Europe. But I think what that does is it sort of opens up this discussion around health a little bit more away from what we've historically seen around sort of, you know, classic sort of nutrition um, skills, whether that's Nutri-Score in Europe or, um, you know, Health Star in here in Australia. And, you know, all those scores are hotly debated. There are definitely positives and negatives for both. I think ultimately the consumer discussion around what makes a product healthy here is um, the benefit. I think the more discussion we have around those, the better. But, that new Nova score system is really interesting. It's quite predominant in France, actually, already. They tend to be the early adopters, which um, does make sense as France is actually one of the largest markets in the world in terms of organic food and drink. And this has really um, just become part of their day-to-day. It's a huge market for organic. So I think just taking it back to what that means for how the consumer base is primed there, they are really thinking about the origin of their food and how it's processed. So France is an interesting case study to look to. But what we have seen from a number of brands coming through in France is actually reformulating their products to be less processed to, um, well, we don't necessarily know if it's to gain a better score on Nova or not, but um it's quite interesting that they're getting really transparent on the ingredients they use. For example, there's a brand in France called BioCoop, and they have recently re-released their um, muesli range, which has been reformulated to include honey as the sweetener. And they note that it was previously processed rice syrup. So it's opened up this conversation around what is actually in that product to give it that particular benefit to the consumer. And 
for some brands that wish to differentiate themselves on the level of processing, um, it is an opportunity to sort of clean up their formulations, if you like. On the flip side of that, though, we can't just, you know, processing in food and drink has a lot of benefits. It can, you know, benefit taste, texture, sh- uh, you know, shelf stability, making sure products get from A to B in an acceptable condition. So, um, you know, we can't throw it all out altogether. And there are also some really interesting examples of where processing has come on to such a way to give a real consumer benefit. So you're probably familiar with the fruit company uh, Del Monte. Now, you may be aware that they have released something called the Pink Glow Pineapple. And um, this is a really interesting case study of where processing can be done for good and addressing stigmas around processing by really detailing the consumer benefits. So this particular our example from Del Monte, their pink glow pineapple, they actually spent 16 years developing this through genetic engineering. And how they've done it is through a natural pigment called uh, lysopene. And this pineapple is very pink in color, and it's also said to be both sweeter and juicier. Now, they have credited this with um, quite an uplift across their pineapple sales in the, in the U.S. last year. Um, and as recently as August last year, they're actually on record as saying that demand is really outpacing supply for this pink pineapple. And, you know, it is it is gorgeous, like, you know, huge, hugely social media friendly um, and great taste, great color. So on the flip side, processing can also do good for consumers. So that's um, inter- that's interesting that, that it has that level of take up, isn't it? Because there there really is that, you know, that notion of anything that's genetically modified has a really bad smell. And rightly or wrongly, you know, it it's just just how it is. So it's interesting that um maybe maybe in younger, you know, in the younger sort of cohorts that they're less critical or more accepting of genetically modified foods. The GM, yeah, the GM foods, that's probably a discussion for another day, but we've done quite a lot of work on <laughs> that. But actually, if you look, Kim, at the amount of, and we have all this detail of GM foods across the world, it is minimal in number. It's almost, you're sending consumers almost looking for a red herring, if you like. <laughs> but, you know, but that, you know, but that's kind of it. The claim is out there and has gained traction. So um, we have to look at where we're at at the moment with consumer understanding or um, sort of perhaps, um things that they believe and trying to bring them in that education um, process. So, um, you know, genetic engineering in this case, and a little very different, there's all technical differences between them, but for Del Monte has really, um, yeah, been, been a success story. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's, uh, let's look at age reframed and talk about my cohort because we don't get talked about enough. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so whenever we've, you know, we've, we've looked at sort of a few um, – trends through the years that have sort of focused on healthy aging, but perhaps more look at that demographic that is sort of assumed to be the aging consumer, you know, 65 plus. But really this trend focuses on targeting more sort of the midlife consumer and focusing on, um, you know, helping them live with vitality, not simply live longer. We do have quite a lot of detail out there um, sort of in the medical field, particularly from the UK and the US that Gen X are actually in poorer health than the previous Gen X um, generation here now sort of, you know, boomer swing generation, which basically says consumers are living longer, but spending more years in ill health. Um, So it's about starting to help consumers from that midlife point so that they can live with vitality, not just live. And we've seen a few very interesting things just out there 
in sort of social discussion, particularly over the last few years, that weren't necessarily discussed before. Um, for example, all of the discussion around, um, you know, the, many po- the menopause and perimenopause. This is something that, you know, has obviously, obviously been around since the dawn yeah. of time. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to call it necessarily an occasion, if you like, for example. But, you know, if you say to me, right, well. It's not an occasion. To- it's a long 10-year slog. Exactly. But. <laughs> It's that, it's that, and obviously I'm not necessarily the best person to speak personally <laughs> about this, but if we take it back to, you know, the consumer in their day, so what, they have to do the, I don't know, say the university run that day and they're experiencing all these symptoms that morning. They still have to get on with their day. So, you know, what's out there to perhaps help alleviate some of those symptoms or make them feel better? So we have seen a number of brands come through in Australia. Um, Rugenix Tea is one. They have um, sort of a, a menopause tea, which they sort of... Um, uh, have worked with a few natural paths to sort of, you know, alleviate some symptoms sort of of the menopause and sort of, you know, help restore some balance to the body. So I think the menopause example, while just one, is a really interesting example of just debunking some of those, you know, stigmas that weren't necessarily talked about, you know, in, in food and drink in years gone by. Um, and another really interesting example um, in that space, it's actually one from Japan in terms of just normalizing different life stages. And this is actually um, from a cafe in Japan. And the cafe is called the Cafe of Mistaken Orders. And that cafe is staffed by uh, people with dementia, either sort of early onset dementia or right through. And the concept is basically that anyone can come into this cafe, a lot of sort of family and friends come in, um, and these people with dementia are working there. And the name very much of, um, you know, cafe of mistaken orders it very much is just helping consumers understand that yes while dementia can be tough there are funny moments with it you know people are still themselves right that you know they have that valuable contribution to make and also um quite importantly fostering that social connection between sort of you know different families that are you know helping um you know live and manage um you know dementia and their family so that particular cafe is a really interesting example because again before context of food and drink or the occasions that surround food and drink you know is dementia really getting enough of a spotlight there um yes no that was it yes two two interesting examples around debunking old stigmas i think in in food and drink and connected to food and drink is there any indication within that when you're sort of talking to consumers around a lot of these products that are coming out with these functional ingredients or adaptogenics and, you know, this is going to help your brain function or this is going to help alleviate, you know, night sweats or um, hot, you know, hot flushes or I think, again, it's coming down to that consumer trust sort of process. Like how do I know this product has, you know, the amount of whatever that magic ingredient is in it to be effective and, or, you know, to have to drink six of them a day or are you getting, is there feedback from consumers around that? Yeah. So on sort of the efficacy, I think, you know, probably a lot of our listeners today will be Australian. So I think Australian food and drink, we do have to obviously, um, stay in line with sort of um, efficacy and guidelines and regulations in terms of claim. So for example, that menopause tea, that's very much sort of, you know, we've worked with natural past. It's not sort of making a definite hard claim around yeah. that. Yeah. But I think where we can come into sort of that harder efficacy um, will be sort of through those more sort of micro macronutrients that have that sort of hard research behind them. For example, vitamin C contributing to a healthy immune system, very hard science backing there, claims that you can make, and obviously, you know, linking back to greater vitality. So immunity does that. Um or even sort of wider than that, thinking about 
but this is sort of the value um, spectrum here, unlocking value in food and drink uh, that consumers may already be consuming, but not considering a certain benefit. For example, we think about protein very much for, you know, muscle mass or muscle growth, but obviously protein has a great role in playing and actually keeping you full and helping a consumer feel fuller for longer. So um, that's a great point to make as well, particularly at the moment where some brands are perhaps struggling um they might not necessarily be putting new innovation out there at the moment. It may be sort of dialing up existing benefits that they have in the product without changing its formulation. So um, that will kind of be um, my sort of yeah, or, or vice around sort of efficacy and you know research. It's sort of those harder claims versus softer claims. Yeah, yeah. Hey, and uh, talk to us about because convenience is another big issue for consumers. So where is that? How's that playing out? Where are you seeing that? Is it coming from the fact you're now going to have these tools like, say, you know, say full app on your phone or like in the US where they're, um, was it Vivo or Vive that are yes, trying yes. out, trialling those? Is it is it coming through those ways or is it actually more in the types of foods that they're eating? So, mm. Yeah, definitely a bit of both. Tech has a role to play here. I think particularly AI is the tech solution that a lot of consumers are looking to at the minute. Um, so about 48% of all the consumers agree that AI will make their daily chores easier, for example, giving them time-saving um, tips for cooking. But for brands, they don't necessarily have to go in at that hard level of AI because that's you know still, still in development, you know still being discussed, and consumers are getting up to speed with just how much detail they want to give um, AI. And I think the way I often describe it is I think 15 years ago, if you said to a consumer, you're going to use your fingerprint to unlock your phone, they'll be like, you're not getting my biometric data. But, you know, how far we've come. And, but that's slowly yeah. but surely, right? So we, we can't expect these things, um, you know, to happen overnight. Consumers will need to balance sort of the benefit with perhaps what they see as the cost to, you know, their privacy or teaching um, the algorithm or the machine learning algorithms. But there's a few simple ways to do it. I think is first of all, looking at where that consumer is at in their day in terms of convenience needs. So I think sort of fast, uh, quick cooking is still something that is really in demand uh, for consumers. So we have a brand in New Zealand, they're called Waddies, and one of their ranges is called Waddies One Pan, and it's basically designed to be uh, put in a pan and heated in less than 10 minutes. So a few different um sort of uh, world cuisine-inspired options under that. For example, their Moroccan-style couscous. But we're also seeing this coming through in convenience, and consumers don't necessarily be aware of this because it's happening sort of at grocery retailer side, but Coles are already using machine learning algorithm uh, within sort of their back end and their stock replenishment. So um, they had an interesting little case study um, the other day that detailed that through this machine learning algorithm, have actually identified that in the run-up to Good Friday, where a lot of people are commonly consuming fish, it tends to be one of their biggest periods in the year for seals of lemon. So it's allowed them to make sure they're replenished with lemon. And obviously, you know, if they want to take that through into merchandising decisions and have them sort of, you know, front place, center of store, they can do that. So um, it's indirectly helping consumers because it's helping um, retailers in the back end um, basically um, forecast what will be their demand areas based on past past behavior. Um, and the other side of this that I think is really interesting is the focus on AI. Like you may have seen some of the AI generated images out there already, and some of them are good, some of them are not so good, some are even a little bit um, creepy, should we say. But 
there's, and I say creepy, there's a really interesting example of this. And this actually came through, um, it was just sort of this unknown user on Reddit. Um, his tag was pizza later, but he developed this AI ad for something called a uh, pizza hug spot. And it was basically an advertisement for a pizza restaurant. And he did this whole thing in three hours, supposedly. Um, and this went viral, this pizza hug spot advertisement, purely because they had all these people that looked slightly strange when they were, you know, chewing their food, you know, perhaps um, things weren't looking quite as they should, quite an alien-like quality to them. So this went viral, but then Pizza Hut in Canada then recreated this um, pizza hug spot um, in, in reality. They created it in one of their stores. So this kind of focus on AI is going to generate a discussion that actually pulls consumers back to things in real life and makes them sort of appreciate things in real life a little bit more. Um, I think that's always, you know, with any technology um, developments, there is always that pullback for sort of what's real and sort of of the earth and of humans as opposed to sort of what, you know, sits away in the cloud or whatever. So it will definitely be opportunities there. Um, and the other thing I think, which is again, sort of tech related, but speaks to agile innovation is really just the the continued sort of use of AI in social listening as well. So listening to what's happening in social media. Um, there's a great example out there from uh, Heinz. So obviously I feel, I feel no one can do anything in any industry right now without talking about the impact of Taylor Swift and just yeah. everything that she <laughs> is, yes. is doing across multiple different industries and the impact that's having in the economy. But um, Taylor Swift a few months ago was at a baseball game and on the plate beside her, some fan tweeted this photo of her and it was like chicken. And then the fan had quoted it as seemingly ranch sauce. Within uh, 24 hours, Heinz in the US had announced this limited edition seemingly ranch sauce. So you know, they tapped right in. Now, of course, for every brand, that's not going to be you know achievable. Obviously, production was ready there. But I think being able to sort of um, capitalize on those viral moments while they are in the moment, um, tech is really going to help us through that, that real agile innovation. I think that's a really interesting example, too, of sort of where the balance of, um, you know, convenience and also giving consumers what they want when they want it, I, you know, when they're interested in it. Um, we're running out of time. Um, I could talk to you for about another three hours, I think. I think one of the things that's also coming through this is that there is a little sense of whimsy and a bit of fun, you know, that people want that back, you know, they, they, they want that back in their experiences, mm -hmm. even if it is about their health or, um, you know, their age, is that they, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to all sort of be so straighty 180. But um, I can't believe I'm going to cut you off and we have to end it now. That's no, no problem. <laughs> Let's no do problem. it again. <laughs> Come back. We'll do it again. <laughs> Definitely, Kim. Thanks so much for having us on today. Appreciate appreciate the time. Oh, um, no. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, for anyone who's not perhaps a Mintel client, if they do want to have any more detail on their our 2024 food and drink trends. If you just sort of give us a little web-based search, depending on whatever search engine you use, uh, you'll find a little free download of our 2024 trends. Yeah, and we'll pop that in. The, we'll pop that in the show notes as well. Amazing. Thank you. Um, thanks, Cormac. So good. Thanks you, very much. <laughs> what do you think about that, Grant? That was fantastic. Lots of amazing trends to look at. See, don't and, you think uh, it's amazing? We're, we we are such curious creatures. <laughs> like. But we'll then we're so simple at the same time. Like we're incredibly, <laughs> we're incredibly simple, but then so, you know, such a mystery all at once. You put everyone together all in a room or on the internet, some mm. 
Mm. Weird and wonderful things. <laughs> yeah, that much is certain. <laughs> well, thanks, Cormac. Thanks, Kim. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, you can follow this podcast and your favorite podcatcher to ensure you get every episode as they're released. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative discussion, and the trends are going to be fascinating then as they are now. I can assure you of that. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.